Hi, this is Kathy Blaha, sitting in at KLZR Studios in downtown Westcliff for the Valley View Show. This morning, we're interviewing John Mitchell. John Mitchell volunteers at KLZR's Taste of the Valley and is a regular at all of our music events, like Summer in the Park. He and his wife, Deb, just recently went on a honky-tonk tour of Texas. John's been in the Valley for 20 years, but today we're here to talk about his passion for Studebakers. John's a member of the Studebaker Driving Club. He also has an extensive collection of Studebakers. On my understanding, I was 11, including my favorite, the Avanti. John, tell us, how did you get interested in Studebakers? What led you to become a collector? That's an interesting story. As a youngster, uh, Studebakers didn't stand out in my memory. I I was around some. We had one in the family. I I drove to school with a neighbor uh, who drove a Studebaker. However, I really got interested. After I got married, uh, I was out of college, and my wife her father was an avid Studebaker fan, and so he they lived in Missouri, and we'd travel from Texas to Missouri. I'd always see one or two of his Studebakers, and uh, I guess that kind of got me the bug, and I found a 62 Studebaker Hawk on a used car lot in Austin, Texas, and I bought it, and like you, whenever you own a car, you see all like models around i kept finding more and more studebakers and they they'd be broke down in front of someone's house or in back and i was buying them for 50 75 dollars and and i just started acquiring them and fixing them up and working on them that's how i kind of got interested in it so what makes the studebaker line special it's very unique, number one. I mean, it wasn't one of the big three manufacturers, so to have a Studebaker is to have something unique, and, and I like the uniqueness. In addition to that, they had a lot of firsts. Uh, in the 50s and 60s, they were the first one to have a padded dash. They were the first one in the 63 Avanti to have disc brake standard and a roll bar standard equipment. So they came up with a lot of innovation. It may have been one of the reasons they went out of business. They were ahead of their time. I actually went online and read a little bit more about the Studebaker and found out that uh, they were actually raced. I think A.J. Foyt raced it in the uh, Indy 500 in the mid-50s, mid, maybe late-50s. But the other thing about them was that, that Avanti was at one point the fastest production car ever made, surpassing anything that GM and Ford put out. And um, they introduced the Starliner uh, kind of early muscle cars 11 years before the Mustang. Correct. The uh, 53 Starliner is something that is still being raced today, the body style, at uh, Bonneville Salt Flats because it's so aerodynamic. Obviously, they don't have Studebaker engines anymore, but if you go to Bonneville for the racing, you will see a number of Studebakers out there. So do you, you collect your cars? You have 11. Do you uh, drive them? Do you keep them for show? I try to drive them that's one of my problems i actually have sold off a couple this year because i can't drive them enough it's one thing to go out there the ones that run and start them up and drive them around in the yard but it's really not good for them because that just heats up the engine and then the condensation and all that builds up in them if you're going to start one you need to take it out and drive it into town drive it for 30 minutes or an hour to get all the juices flowing so to speak and to kind of dry it out so talk a little bit about my favorite Studebaker, which is the Avanti, which I think is one of the most beautiful, most interesting style cars that we've ever seen. I agree with that. I 
actually had three Avantis. Studebaker made Avantis just for two years, 1963 and 1964 models. And uh, I have two 1964s. Uh, they only produced 800 of them, and I have two of them. One is just a, a regular engine, and an automatic and a regular engine. And that's a nice car, but my pride and joy is a 1964 Studebaker with a Paxton supercharger on it, generating 275 horsepower out of the Studebaker 289 and a four-speed transmission. And as I said earlier, it's got disc brakes and a roll bar in it, a tachometer. It is a true sports car. So there's lots of questions about why a company that created such fabulous cars went out of business. And some people say they were over-engineered. Uh, I read that they spent something like 25% more to build each car than, than the Chevrolet. And that Chevrolet, GM, and Ford were so competitive that they kind of dwarfed Studebaker, who spent so much time and effort on design and, and engineering, as you, as you talk about. That's correct. Actually, in 1959, they came out with the Lark model, which was considered the first compact car to hit the market. And they, they captured the market. They were selling like great guns. And then Ford and Chevrolet came out with their Falcons and their Corvairs, and they kind of got ahead of Studebaker. So that, that dwindled, that market dwindled for them. And so they lost market share in that. And you're right. At the same time, they had some real negotiating problems with the unions. They were actually paying more for their labor than uh, Ford and, and Chevrolet were in Detroit. So that compounded the, uh, the money being lost per unit sold. So I remember a couple of years ago, the Studebaker Driving Club came to Colorado Springs for its annual meeting, and you uh, and Deb took a lead in um, you know, prepping for that. So what happens when Studebaker fans from all over the country come together? It's a great time. Let me say, we this year, the Studebaker International Meet was in South Bend, Indiana, the home of Studebaker, and Deb and I went to that, and... Uh, one night, they had a cruise into downtown South Bend. Over 200 Studebakers rolled into downtown South Bend. They closed the main street, and they had a band out there, and all the Studebakers parked there. Not only did the Studebaker people mix and mingle, but the people from around South Bend that had history of it or didn't have history of it, young kids saying, what are these, came in. It was an enjoyable evening. So how many Studebakers are still out there on the road? Do you have any idea? I do not know exactly. I know the Studebaker Drivers Club has over 12,000 members in it. Wow. And, and so probably each of those members has at least one Studebaker or, like me, multiple Studebakers. What does the club do? Uh, driving events and concourse and trips and stuff like that? Exactly. We have an annual Drive Your Studebaker Day each uh, September, the uh, second Saturday in September, and, and they'll locally they'll have events there's things going on in denver and uh, colorado springs and they drive around and show them off and and monthly uh, they try to get together we were just last saturday in colorado springs there was a regional studebaker meet down there it wasn't real big there were 30 studebakers down there a lot of avantis a couple of avanti convertibles that you would have fallen in love with yeah I didn't even know Avanti made a convertible. The later models. And Studebaker Avanis were not convertibles. But, you know, they made Avanis up through uh, 2006. And some of those later ones are convertibles. 
So besides the convertibles, I know Studebaker, having seen your collection, I know Studebaker goes all the way back to wagons. That's correct. Actually, one of the Studebaker brothers, John Studebaker, made his money before he invested in the uh, wagons now making wheelbarrows for the uh, for the gold rush in California, in Placerville, California. He came home with, I think, $8,000 profit and with his brothers started making wagons. And uh, they made Conestoga wagons that went on the Oregon Trail. They really made a lot of money during the Civil War making uh, war wagons for the Union. So uh, that kind of catapulted them, gave them enough money to, uh, to go to the next level. The other interesting thing I read about Studebaker history is that they created one of the first electric cars for the underground tunnel that goes between the House and Senate side in Washington, D.C. That's correct, and one of those is still in there on display. They're mammoth electric engines and huge tires, but that's how the uh, senators and the congressmen got around in the old days. It, it, the, the design of the car made me think about politics because there was a steering wheel on either side. So when they were going in one direction, the driver had the steering wheel, and then when he got to the House side, he jumped to the front of the car for the other steering wheel and drive back to the Senate side. That's kind of like our, our Congress these days, right? Two, that, two steering wheels. They need at times more than two. The other cool thing they did was the station wagon. And you were telling me you actually owned one of those station wagons. Right. You're referring to the sliding rear roof station wagons. They made them uh, starting in 63 through 66 when they quit producing automobiles. But I had two uh, 1963 and a 1964, both with the sliding roof. And uh, when I graduated from college, we moved from one house to another house, and I actually moved all our belongings, including refrigerators, in those two uh, station wagons, acting like they were pickup trucks. I would have loved to see a picture of that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just happy one of the things didn't slide out the back end of it. So tell us about what's in your collection here in Westcliff. Right now, I have a... a, a 1890s uh, doctor's buggy, a one-horse buggy that I've uh, restored the seat, and it, it's kind of neat, uh, uh, going back to the wagons they used to make. And then I'm trying to go in a age order. I've got two 1947 pickup trucks, and I've got a 1962 pickup truck. I've got three 1960 station wagons. Again, we talked earlier before going on the air about the two-door station wagon. One of them is a two-door wagon that I'm fully restoring because they're just neat. To have. You don't see many two-door station wagons. Then I've got a 63 Daytona convertible that my father-in-law was the original owner on. He bought it from the dealership in Missouri, again, getting back to how I got started in this. I traded him a couple cars, one of them being a sliding roof station wagon for that. <laughs> and uh, then I've got a, uh, what else do I have in there? I'm trying to think. Oh, I've got the three Avantis. Uh, two of them are 64s, as I said earlier. In addition, I have a 1984, which is the same body style and this may be one of the reasons Studebaker went out of business. In 1984, they haven't made Studebakers for 20 years, haven't made Avani's for 20 years. They were still using the excess surplus frames from 1964 wow. to build the 84. So they overstocked. I, the, the sales department was overly optimistic on sales volumes and that. And so uh, they went to outside vendors, and so they just have a ton of surplus out there. But that 1984 Avanti has the Chevrolet 
IROC engine in it and transmission. So it is a good highway cruiser. It really is nice. So John and I have a lot in common about cars. We both love them. We both love to drive them. Do you get the sense that there's a lot of people in Westcliff who love cars? Yes, there are. There are, uh, there are Corvette people, there are Corvair people, and there are just a lot of people around that uh, like have an old car stashed away somewhere. So one idea you have is that there's a, a national group called Cars and Coffee? Correct. And they get together on a weekly or monthly basis to share their cars and what's going on. Tell us a little bit about that and how we might get something like that going in Westcliff. Well, Cars and Coffee or Coffee and Cars is is listed on the uh, on Google and you can go to it and there are meetings it's usually once a month and here where it would have to be in fair weather but it's usually a Saturday at nine o'clock you just pull into a parking lot and someone has coffee and donuts there and you just uh, kick tires and then people drive by and see all the cars and they'll stop in and and say and talk to the people because people that have cars these cars love to talk about them you don't have to uh, have to pry any information out of them they will engage in a moment's notice so i think once a month you could on a saturday you could have people driving up from pueblo and salida and those places on in a on a nice day this is a fantastic drive up here to see the mountains and and the bonus of seeing some uh, nice antique cars would i think attract some people so um, at one point, the Avanti with its supercharged R3 engine was capable of 170 miles an hour. Do you think we could take your car out and do that? <laughs> I would not want to do that. I did have a, a 1974 Avanti that had a Corvette 400 engine in it from the factory, and it was it was a gift to Daryl Royal when he was a head coach at Texas. I got burnt orange with a white leather interior, and I had that up to 130, and I, I thought I was going fast enough in a 75-mile-an-hour zone. Thank, thank God for the roll, the roll bar, right? Really, if necessary. Well, thank you so much this morning, John, for a great conversation about cars and Studebakers. Thanks to our listeners, of course. Anybody who's interested in helping us get a cars and coffee uh, schedule here in Westcliff, send a note to the station, uh, info at klzr.org, and we'll uh, sign you up and see if we can make that happen. Uh, this is Kathy Blaha signing off for KLZR's Valley Views. You've been listening to Valley Views on KLZR 91.7 FM. Valley Views airs Tuesdays and Thursdays at 7 a.m. and 4 p.m. and again on Saturday morning at 10 a.m. Send your ideas and comments to comments at klzr.org. Valley Views is produced by the volunteers of KLZR 91.7 FM.